You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest was born in Northern Ireland and grew up in the height of the Troubles. In her early 20s, she decided to move to Australia. She has overcome cancer and works with others to follow their own dreams. Welcome to the show, Trish Marks. How are you, Trish? Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. I'm feeling great today. Oh, that's fantastic. It's such a beautiful, glorious day here in Adelaide. Yes, same here in Melbourne. Beautiful sunshine. Yeah, we are. It's beautiful. We're so lucky to be here. So, Trish, tell us about the early days in Ireland. Well, I grew up in a small uh, village in South Derry, surrounded by the Spearn Mountains. Beautiful, picturesque little place um, from a distance. (laughs) Uh, And it's it's all small towns. There's always that um, level of thinking where, you know, you can't really do step outside anything or what will people say. So Mm. you're brought up with a very strong conditioned way of thinking. Um, In the late 60s, Obviously, the trouble started, and um, like there's not because we were such a, a small town, we weren't really impacted right away. It sort of filtered through. Yeah. And uh, for instance, for an example, like we used to live um, behind the local police barracks, and uh, we used to hang out there. We used to hang out with David and Jenny, who lived there. Their parents. We would look babysit for them. And then whenever the trouble started, um, you notice the significant changes, how it started to filter in because you were warned you can't go near the barracks anymore or you'll be tired and filler. So it's little things like that started to change your view of mm. the world where before it was quite innocent. So it takes your innocence away very early when you're living in an environment like that. Yeah, because it was um, very violent times, wasn't it? Well, the 80s, the height of it when I left Ireland, it was really, really violent. And there was just a heaviness and, and a lot of negativity. You know, because it was, everything that was built was blew up. And you really, were, you never felt that kind of safeness. Although it didn't stop, uh, it didn't stop me and it didn't stop my uh, brothers and my friends because our focus is more about having fun. Yeah. And we used to hitchhike everywhere, really. And, um, and I remember, uh, because we were in that uh, environment, the small town, we weren't really influenced by a lot of other people's thinking. Yeah. In term, because in the bigger cities, um, and I noticed this when we would, we would go down south for concerts, and, um, you know, we had Queen or David Bowie. And I remember this one particular oh. I know, uh, and you think about it now, and you think, "Wow, we were in history-making moments." So and you lucky. Didn't, yes, you never thought like that. But we would all be, um, we'd all camp, you know, because it was in a big castle, and it was in the grounds of the castle. So we'd be all camping, and it, uh, I remember, uh, you know, you'd meet people from all over Ireland, and we met a, a group of uh, young people like ourselves from Belfast. And just sitting around the fire and, and the, the conversations we were having, theirs was very, very influenced by um, them and us in their mm. city. So mm. there was a right and a wrong. Whereas where I was coming from, I was always thinking, there's got to be another way. Yeah. We grew up with both religions in our town. And um, to me, it didn't seem that there was a problem we had to find another way. Why were we fighting to get what we wanted? Why couldn't mm. we look and look 
at something else. But their vision and their focus was really on taken away, taken away. Wow. Uh, for somebody else to have what they wanted. And it, to me, that wasn't the way to go. So those little things sort of to, started to niggle at me and think, I'm never going to be able to grow the way I want to grow. Mm. If this is the thinking and the environment I'm surrounded by. It's funny, and all that sort of stuff even rings true today, and it's not even about religion because, I mean, religion has enough to answer for for itself and yeah. the violence and the bloodshed that's happened over yeah. you know, thousands and thousands of years. Um, yeah. But it's funny that what's happening at the moment is yeah. it's still very much that thinking. It's, it may not be about religion, but it's very much us and them, and it's, it's a really, really sad thing. Did you witness any of the violence yourself? Um. Well, no, we didn't have an awful lot in at the time. There was the, the local police barracks was eventually blown to bits, and um, uh, but other than that, really, some sometimes you would have uh, parades that you would go to or events that were on that would end up with stoning and. Yeah. But I would always get out of that really quickly. Yeah. I wouldn't be hanging around to be involved in that. It was just not our thing. We yeah. uh, we yeah. really liked the we as we call it in Ireland the crack. So we were more into the crack than than the political side of things. Mm. And yeah. uh, so humor was a big thing in our family. My brother was really really funny. Most of them were really funny. So we always had things that were very humorous. Some of our neighbors were um, impacted much more than we were um, yeah. in terms of being uh, interned and things like that. So it was there. However, I chose not to be influenced by it in a way where it made me bitter or angry. Yeah. Because as a teenager growing up, you're dealing with lots of emotions and um, you don't want to add anybody else's anger no, to your own. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing as a teen, you've got enough yeah. happening in your own head and body. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're dealing with your own fears and, and insecurities. And, mm. and, uh, and so there wasn't a lot of certainty in our world when we were growing up. There was always that uncertainty and it was ripe and, yeah. and really think about it. Definitely. It definitely. Yeah. So why did you choose Australia? Well, it's funny, I try, I'd been overseas many times, just Europe really, and it was that I was watching the Bicentennial. Oh, yeah. And that's why I chose Australia. And, you know, before that, they had the Aussie soaps on, on of the UK. <laughs> However, I used to watch them and think they were always filmed in very dark rooms. They okay. always, they always seem very dark to me, you know, and I, I never, it never appealed to me. But then I seen the bicentennial, and I knew at that point in my life, I thought I have to go somewhere, and I have to go far enough away that I won't uh, think, oh no, I'm too scared, I'll come back home yeah, again. Yeah. Where I <clears throat> needed to go somewhere that was going to um, be far enough for me to th have to think about it before <laughs> I would come back home. <laughs> <laughs> and so watching that, I'd said to a girlfriend, um, uh, let's go to Australia. I think Australia is a place to go. And uh, she fell off the truck. But I thought, well, I'm going anyway because I know people here. Mm. My brother was here. There was people from my hometown here. And so I thought, I'm going anyway. So I um, left. It was hard leaving because um, my mom and I were very, very close. My brothers yeah. and I were very close. And though my sisters were all married, I was always there. 
for their kids and everything. So you were leaving um, your family was the hardest thing and friends. Mm. That was the hardest thing. It's funny, you know, I mean, I moved away. I'm from originally from Queensland and Uh all my family is still there. And I I only moved to Sydney and stuff, but it's funny that even moving just that distance, it's, it's the same way. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Like I know I can get on a plane quicker and go to see them. Yeah. But of course life gets in the way. You don't really do that. You know, you, you, I go up almost every Christmas, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like you just, your life really does start to change and, and you just go on your own course and things like that Mm -hmm. are sort of forgotten about a little and just try and stay in contact as much as you can. But it's, it is a hard thing to move away from your family. Definitely. How old were you when you did that? Uh, 26. Well, it's still really wasn't uh, Yeah. Well, when you're thinking nowadays, it probably wasn't that young, but because in Ireland, um, you lived at home until you're married. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, uh, because there was just no uh, housing available. It was uh, housing estates. There was no, uh, unless you moved to the city and the cities weren't that safe. Mm. So like Belfast and Derry were on either side of us and, and, there was nowhere there really that you could uh, find a place. So um, moving away. And, but I remember my dad saying to me, um, you know, Trish, you're only two days away if you ever want to come home. (laughs) And that put things into perspective for me. That's right. If I feel bad on Wednesday and I want to see them, I'll be there on Friday. That's it. (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, it made a big difference. It shifted my thinking in that. I knew something I wanted to do and I had to face the fear. And, and I remember um, being on the flight and I, I let it all go there and I sat and I sobbed the whole way there because I <laughs> never did I once break down before I left. But when I got on the flight and I was on my own, um, uh, I let it down. I broke down there. Yeah. But then when I landed here in Australia, Anthony, it was like my heart just felt at home and I felt it in my heart. I just felt safe. I felt, I felt at home. So where did you arrive to first? Melbourne. Oh, you you went straight to Melbourne. Wow. I I came straight to Melbourne and I just felt at home. My brother was here and, uh, and some friends. So they were coming to pick me up from the airport. And yeah, I, I just knew, I just knew, I thought no matter what happens here, I am not going back to live in Ireland. Yeah. This is this it's a different. funny place, Australia. It really does warm a lot of people's hearts. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely a unique place. It, I mean, a lot of people probably come here and think, oh, well, you know, they speak English like everywhere else. They're probably not advanced. There's a lot more, a lot of other countries. But it really has a genuine feeling of safety and community. And, you know, we're very blessed to live here. We really are. Oh, absolutely. And that was the one thing. I felt safe. Yeah. I felt safe. I, um, and they spoke English, obviously. That was a great benefit. <laughs> However, the people I met were just genuinely nice and, and really interested because Australians were, uh, are always interested in travel. They're big travelers. Yeah, definitely. Very big travelers. And I discovered that through businesses that I'd been in. Um, and that was a big connection you could make with them they were always interested in where you came from mm. and always in, and they always had a story to tell about 
something that was they had experienced there or someone they knew that had went there yeah. or some grandfather or great-grandfather was Irish. <laughs> Every <laughs> man do, in his Because we do love our, our English and Irish trips. Yes, we, yes. I mean, Australians, we're, we're there a lot. We've almost built up our own communities over there. <laughs> Absolutely. And they love the Australians overseas, though. Yeah, definitely. So I know that in 2011 you studied NLP. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yes. I was in sales uh, and um, for over 20 years, and uh, I decided to leave that industry. And uh, I wanted to. Do, I always was uh, inspired by sales. I, there was a little fire in me that was always burning when I was doing sales. I loved it, but it was over the, um, you know, meeting the quotas and the targets. Yeah. And I thought it's time not to sell. And so I thought to myself, what do I really like about sales that I can take with me into my next move? And it was just that ability to create change with whatever product I was selling mm. or whatever idea we were doing. It was creating change for that person, either in their home or their work life. So I thought, okay, that's what I really like is the ability to create change. Yeah. So, and... I decided to study coaching and NLP and what a journey that was because here was me thinking I had it all together and then you go into <laughs> and you're thinking oh no I don't want to face this I haven't got it all together I've got to start all over again and NLP was a great um, great learning experience for me just understanding my thought process understanding how we make decisions, what influences, what I need to change in myself to be more confident and to uh, help all, and then to have the ability to help. I was always helping people. My girlfriend used to say to me, I always remember you trying to fix people. Now, people don't need fixed, <laughs> but obviously I thought they did. <laughs> and so um, it's, it was that um, passion that I had about hearing somebody having a challenge um thinking oh well maybe if you looked at it like this it mm. wouldn't be such a challenge where they're probably thinking get out of here what do you know it's my challenge i'll do it my way <laughs> i love However, it. that was always in me so nlp give me the tools and the resources to be able to do um to help people in a way where it didn't come across like i was telling them what to do <laughs> very strong driven results driven person and <laughs> That's classic. So, yeah, so that gave me that ability. So doing the train, the, uh, the masters and the practitioner and train the trainer, I'd done it with a woman who was very, very strong uh, mm. personality and um, really didn't take any ball. And I needed someone like that to uh, really guide me through it and take out from it what I needed to take from it and to use it, you know, really constructively so if you like your beauty products to stand out look a little different and smell amazing then i'm pretty sure you should check out sugar monster brand new and completely adelaide based sugar monster scrubs are natural body products with a quirky style to them you'll have to see to know why all completely handmade vegan and cruelty free with skin loving ingredients that your body will love plus they smell good enough to eat but don't actually do that. Check out the range at sugarmonster.com.au and support local business. I was working for the AIDS Council of New South Wales. Um, yes. And they actually sent me off to do some group work courses, 
And I must say, it was the most incredible thing that they ever, like, that anyone ever gave me because it taught me all about group scenarios and situations and how you'll always have someone in a group setting who will become the, the alpha and, you yes. know, the person that's almost like the motherly type and the shy residing type that won't actually put any input in. And, you know, and you can almost adapt it to any, any situation that you go into with a group. And I was fascinated by it. It was the most eye-opening thing I ever learned. Yeah, actually, just the room setting. And you can tell um, who you have to, based on where they're sitting mm. even, yeah. Um, yeah. how to engage them uh, and where, that's the, where they're at in the room and what, you know, what is the uh, possibility of them disengaging early. Mm and not taking anything away. Communication blew me away in it, you know, learning um, the human behavior. So what I learned, I was fascinated by communication and the learnings that I got in NLP was that 7% of our communication is verbal. However, 93% of it is nonverbal. Yeah. Now that's 93% of communication that we totally ignore in our conversations. And so it been able to read the body language and situations was powerful it was really empowering for me and also to share that with my clients mm. to shift them from where they were focusing or what they were feeling was just a minute of changing your physiology yeah and it's funny also like that we as humans almost um have a calculation and a rundown of a person that we first meet within the first you know minute of meeting them <laughs> And it's all yeah. about how they, not only what they're wearing, but also how they present themselves, how they walk, eye contact, all yeah. that sort of stuff comes into it. It's absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating because uh, statistics show that when we're talking to someone, we will believe their body language more than what they're saying. Wow. So, yes, if there's a conflict in what you're saying and how you're presenting it, they're going to believe the body language. It's incredible. Now, listen, oh. your cancer diagnosis in 2017 must have shook you to the core. Can you talk oh. to us more about that? Yes. Just, can I just go back a little bit? Yeah, prior, to the, uh, prior to the cancer, six weeks prior to the cancer, I'd been out for a walk and I went over my ankle and broke my ankle. Uh. So I was sitting there for six weeks at home and um, I wasn't dealing with it extremely well, Anthony. I was kind of angry and think oh my mm. god so much to do why is this happening blah 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 and um uh, somebody said to me you know the universe is probably telling you, you need to stop trish you need to really yeah. take time out because i was beginning to feel it was as i was pushing things uphill in my in my business and i i wasn't completely happy and i didn't want to stop the momentum because i thought it was going where i wanted to go however after i got the um i was just about to get the boot off when, um, and I didn't have any symptoms or anything. It was just something that I noticed. And so I thought, I'll just mention that to the doctor. And so when I went in and, and she sent me for all these tests and I'm thinking, okay, right. And she, I like that. I like Dora. However, i never imagined anything would be wrong with me. Mm. So when all the results came back and she told me that, uh, I had cancer, um, it's so funny. Your world just stops. Everything goes silent for a moment. And, and then you breathe out 
and you just go into panic mode. Yeah, yeah. And and you're just like you you don't know where to land. So um, I then my husband was called in, you know, because I just went into a bit of a mess, mm. and. So they got him in and we got home. And then you realize, okay, this is what I'm dealing with now. Um, how can I deal with this the best way? So I went into this stoic mode where, okay, this one needs to be done. Get me done it. <laughs> this, you know? And so that's how I handled it, like that. Mm. And, and uh, you know, I'd have friends who would be a bit teary and I'd say, don't give me tears. Give me balloons and laughter. That's all I want. I can handle this. Because I was so much um, wanted to take back my control because yeah. of wipes control out completely. You become so vulnerable, and oh, I couldn't definitely. deal with vulnerability. I was that was a weakness to me. That was my conditioning. Yeah. And so that was the only way I could control it was to say, "Okay, this is how I want you to act. This is how I want you to act, and this is how I want you to act." Because <laughs> this is how I'm acting. <laughs> so. Um, I went through the surgery, all the uh, results, um, the biopsies, the, the, they came back clear. The surgery was a great success. And um, I was very, one of the fortunate ones. I had to, I had to estimate, but I had to, everything had to come out. So um, I, I was still one of the very lucky ones. I didn't need to go through any chemotherapy. Mm. And however, I tell you, Anthony, so the physical aspect of it, I had managed extremely well. But nobody told me about the emotional impact it would have on me. Yeah. And so I was still in control while I was in the hospital. Once I came home and back into my old world again, it was like a train had just come out of nowhere and pow, my brain just imploded with all these emotional fears and I just went to pieces. Mm. And I didn't know how to deal with that woman here was me in this world where i had it all controlled till the very breath i took and here's a woman couldn't even control her or emotional tears yeah i would cry at the drop of a hat and it just got darker and darker and every fear i had magnified mm. you know and i just went to pieces i didn't know how to deal with it it's funny i'm my sister uh, had the same cancer and had the full hysterectomy, but also went through chemotherapy and, and stuff like that. And she then sort of got the all clear from that, but then they realized and found out that she actually had the, the cancer gene. So therefore mm -hmm. it was coming back in breasts and stomach. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's an ongoing battle for her. I mean, this has been happening, I think 12 years now that she's been dealing with it on and off. Um, and I think that with, with the services that are out there, they really do help you with all the physical stuff, but there's not a lot of assistance or help or guidance with the mental stuff. Oh, and I think that's no. so important to conquer. I know. And I said that to them I, because I, mm -hmm. I remember my gynecologist saying to me, how are you feeling? And I looked at her and I said to her, like I'm hanging on to the world with my nails and mm -hmm. it's spinning out of control. I said, is this a symptom of what we're meant to be going through? Or am I going crazy here because I can not have, well, I couldn't get a thought that, that would give me any kind of help in creating a task in the day. Yeah. I just would. And so I hid from the world. I just stayed in uh, bed. But I just, I felt unsafe. I didn't know I was 
riddled by fear because I thought, what if they haven't got it all? What if this happens? What yeah. if that happens? So you're never, you know, you're never sure. And so then the fear just starts um, supporting the self-sabotage and you just tell yourself, why are you not grateful that you're alive? Mm. Why, I, you know, what? you should be grateful. You should be this, you should be that. And I didn't have, um, I didn't have the ability to even think about that. Mm. All I was, and so I just hammered myself into the ground where I lost enormous amount of weight. I um, couldn't keep anything down. Um, I was just a total, total mess. And I could never, I didn't want to go outside. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I, my husband was the only one that I could really tolerate having around me. I just didn't want to hear anything. Everything was so loud. The anxiety yeah. was way up there. It was just a total mess that I couldn't see myself getting out of. I thought this was my life. Mm. And it's just, and I, you know, you just think how anybody lives with this is just, y y your heart goes out to them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The anxiety, with anybody with anxiety, oh my God. Oh, it's just it's a, such a debilitating disease, it really oh, is. Oh, yes, you know, because things that, that were, I couldn't handle, I could have handled without even thinking prior to cancer. Yeah. I couldn't do anything, even walking down a hill. I would go into a, um, a sort of mess, you know, because I think, how am I going to get down the hill? What if I fall? What if this happens? What if that happens? Yeah, so many things. For one action, there were so many rules I had around mm -hmm. it. It was like, wow. Yeah. world I lived in. Different but I, I know that you use a lot of these personal challenges that you actually went through to compel that compelled you forward but i know that you actually now use those to teach other people and that's how, right how to face things themselves yes yes that's right because we're not even aware um that we do self-sabotage yeah and it can manifest itself in many ways it can manifest itself in procrastination it prevents you from meeting your full potential and I always have this, um, I, I don't remember where I got the quote, but I, I always think about it. It's not what you say out of your mouth that determines your life. It's what you whisper to yourself that is the most power. Mm -hmm. So true. And that, that is so true. So um, in terms of like 84% of people never reach their true potential, their yeah. full potential. That's a lot of people it's who are not people. activating their brain power. You know, it's funny, I actually interviewed somebody and they, they called it the monkey brain. Yes. Because it's, yes. It's, we're, we're forever chatting to ourselves in our head. Um, All and you know, I, I look at a lot of things. I look at a lot of the, the religious fights and even what's happening now in America. And I just think to myself, it's amazing how a lot of people don't have that self-awareness. And, and, and the thinking in their brain to rationalise things a little better. It's quite, quite a unique thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm not saying that I'm perfect, or, but I feel I'm a little bit more woke than those people yeah. because it just yeah. seems they just have never stopped and let those rational thoughts come through. Yes, you're so right. Hey? And you often think to myself when I hear someone make a similar, how did you get to that? What is your thinking around that? Mm. Because you're only thinking, you're very, thinking very narrow. Yeah. Like, as you say, with 
self-awareness i had to allow myself to sit in that space for at least a year and allow it just to go through me because mm. the more i fought the harder it came back exactly and so you have to allow yourself to just immerse yourself in it and face them one at a time and people are just conditioned uh, and to to have one thing think of one thing and nothing as long as i'm all right that's okay yeah what we do impacts everything around us exactly as everybody around us so it always confuses me and and um i guess i wonder do you not notice that there's other people here yeah what are you noticing in your world that makes you think that yeah it's so i mean it even comes down to seeing some people in a supermarket when you'll be walking down an aisle and they're walking in the middle of an aisle with a, with a shopping trolley, not even looking at front of them, not looking behind. Like, it's literally yeah. like they're living in their own world. And I sometimes think yeah. to myself, yeah, yeah, it's just so strange. It's uh-huh. so strange that people don't have this self-awareness of even the space that they're taking up in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's even like, for example, you're, you're driving the car, you know, you're driving along and somebody will step out in front of you. Yeah. You know, even you're getting slow and, and they'll walk in front of you and they'll look at you like you're in my way. <laughs> and you're thinking, you're in the middle of the road. What's wrong with this picture here? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Don't get me started on and that so, one. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes you laugh. You think to myself, who's getting it wrong here? I know, I know. <laughs> so what is the focus of your work these days, Trish? Well, I, I really focus on um, salespeople, you know, yeah. and... Um, how to stop self-sabotage right. need to stop self-sabotage um because in in noise definitely in the current climate um what's happening now with business is they've lost a lot of money yeah and so the first thing they're going to be doing when they get back into business is they need to increase their income they need to have that security again and build around the funds mm. to be able to grow and rebuild again so you need to be looking at um, your salespeople, you know, leaders, managers, sales managers, sales leaders. Where are you now with your thinking? Because certainly in times of uncertainty, it does really, really increase our, uh, our sense to procrastinate and to self-sabotage. We don't have a healthy relationship with uncertainty in this you know, so it's emotional intelligence. And I've got, uh, you know, behavioral tools and emotional tools that I work with to help people identify those self-sabotaging, uh, self-sabotaging habits that they have and uh, helping them stop it. It's so, I, yeah. So um, can you tell us all the listeners where they can find more about you? Well, they can find me on my website, which is uh, www.marksconsultancy.com.au or I'm on LinkedIn, Trish Marks, my Facebook, Trish Marks, or my uh, Instagram. If you go to the website, you can just um, tap on a little thing for a five-minute chat to see if, if, if we um, connect, if we have 
you know, how I can help you and what's challenging you at that moment in terms of your roles. And that's Marks as in the man's name, Marks, M-A-R-K-S. <laughs> yes, M-A-R-K-S, Marks the spot. <laughs> I love it. Well, Trish, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. And I hope that people can listen to what you've just said and, and take something from it because I think that what you do with your life now and how you're channeling your history within it I think it's just brilliant. Really, really great work. Thank you, Anthony. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, likewise. I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank, thank you, you again. Thank you so much. Today. My pleasure. We'll speak soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Ants Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.